This is Terrio Media. Ladies and gents, brace yourselves for another episode of the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast that's about to hit harder than a heavyweight knockout. But first, let me ask you something. Do you want to crack the code on how to start investing in real estate without years of trial and error? If yes, you're in the right spot. In our first segment, I sat down with Epic client JR, who revealed an exclusive strategy that allowed him to juggle a full-time job and family, to buy and sell off-market real estate for big profits. Despite a tight budget and rising home prices, he's forging a path to success in real estate, and it's not what you'd expect. If I start investing from scratch, this would be my secret weapon. Tune in to discover the knockout punch for your real estate game. But that's not all. In segment two, Mercedes and I predict the future of real estate, dropping insights that'll have you strategizing like a seasoned pro. We are dissecting predictions raised by financial powerhouses, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, for the housing market in the years 2023 and 2024. And if that's not enough to get your heart pounding, we've thrown in a wild card, a contest for the ages. We are on the hunt for the name of our followers, and we're putting the power in your hands. Tune in and find out how you can enter the contest. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, strap in. It's time for the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. We'll be your guides as we navigate the housing market, the landscape of creative financing strategies, and everything you need to swap that office chair for a beach chair. If you're looking for some one-on-one help, meet us at reiace.com. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go. From coast to coast, epic investors are doing the most. It's time for another epic field report. There's no reason it should take four years to escape the rat race like it did for me. Even though home prices are still moving upward despite the rising rates, times are certainly different now compared to when I started. But if I had to start investing in real estate all over again from scratch, I'd do this, what my private client JR is doing. So if you're thinking that you've missed your window or you're balancing a full-time job or you're raising a family and you're on a tight budget or all of the above, and you're still looking for your big breakthrough in your real estate investing, you're gonna wanna listen to every word of this short interview with JR. Hey JR, thanks for hopping on to uh, talk about your most recent deal, all while working a nine to five. And I just learned this, you only have one hour a day for your real estate, so thanks for being here. Before we talk about the deal, what challenges in your life were you dealing with just prior to you and I working together? Well, if you wanna say nine to five is a challenge, that was a challenge. (laughs) My family just bought a home. I wish I would have met you before I bought the home, but uh, just bought a home, started growing my family. It's that same rut that everybody talks about, you know, uh, working check to check. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. thought, okay, hey, I'll move up the ranks and actually get going to a city government entity. I'll be okay. I'll maybe differ from that, but it's still the same thing, check to check. And just wanted to get out of that rat race. Mm-hmm. What would it mean to you when you, uh, when you do get out of the rat race? Relief, time, and being with my kids more. That's the main goal, you know, just like where I'm working at right now and where I live at, it's not too far radius. So sometimes at lunchtime, I try to go home just so I get that extra time with him. My dad, he worked in the automotive field and I didn't see him too much and didn't want that. You know, you've been playing both right now. And in, in the meantime, the nine to five in the real estate game, you've been playing it really effectively. What's been your secret sauce to making it work so well when others struggle so much? Do you have any idea? I was struggling too in the beginning, but like just getting a game plan and stay consistent, trying to really squeeze everything productive in every the cracks of my time. Even if I have to wake up earlier to skip trace and do all the stuff I need to do in preparation to my hour where it's like go time, just really squeezing everything in there. And it's a uh, being consistent with that. You know, life happens. 
<laughs> might want to sleep in or somebody or when the alarm clock goes, oh, it's time to go to work instead of going or waking up earlier. But they have to stay consistent. That's helped a lot. I, I can see results because if I stay consistent for like weeks on by, the inbound is greater. You said that hour, that's go time. Do you have the same hour every day? And what happens in that hour? So what my day looks like is I wake up and I'm doing all the stuff that's like in preparation. I'm list stacking from different softwares and then I'm skip tracing and I'm getting everything set. I got my numbers, addresses and all that stuff in the morning before work. And then mm-hmm. I work, come to work and then lunch, my lunch hour, it's like campaign time. Either, whichever one I, I choose to do it, I try to mix it up sometimes Monday through Friday. Sometimes Monday might be a, a calling. And Tuesday might be, uh, I'm just writing letters. Wednesday might be texting, texting, texting. And I actually implemented my two nephews. Part of my campaign too, I'm trying to integrate them in there, but that's what it looks like you know, as far as goal time and lunch hour. It's like production. Right. You know, we've been working together, I don't know what, about a year now, I guess. And it started off kind of slow. But what was the, the turning point when you really started to think, hey, this could really work? I think it maybe was my first deal. It's crazy that you guys think, because like, I think it was the weekend summit in Vegas, I went down there and you gave us a challenge like, hey, put yourself out there and write some stuff on social media. And I put, hey, uh, I buy houses. It was within, I think it was like on a Saturday and I got a response and it happened so quick. I was just so excited. I think I uh, bum rushed your office or something like that. Like, hey, what would I do that? So it works. And from that, you know, it, of course it was on incubator that that particular deal. But when actually that deal closed, it put a light switch on, hey, this works. So I tried a lot of things in life. I did the network marketing stuff everything under the sign, but like that, it's like, hey, I, this came out of nothing. This came off of a post on social media. Well, let's talk about that because you've got a nine to five, you've got a family, you're a new homeowner, you, you're on a budget when it comes to, to putting everything together. How have you made real estate investing accessible even on that with all of those kind of financial limitations? How have you been able to manage the budget and get the results? I just looked at what, what I was paying for before. I hate to say it, but a lot of it was on clothes. A lot of it was on entertainment. And just things that once you break it down, like, okay, this is what I'm spending. And you get that final total number, you're like, wow, like, really? So you, you can cut back some of that because this not really needed. It's more like wanted. So I did that. And then I've started implementing that budget into my real estate. It's not a big budget, but it is a budget. And you can do it like with zero or you can do it $1,000 a month or $10,000 a month. So let's walk through the, the deal from this week. How did you find it? So it was off of a mailing campaign. Yellow letter, ready, put it out there. And it was like off of a lean list. I actually, it was a stack list. I do maintenance on the side and I was doing some maintenance and my phone rang and the guy just start pouring in all the information. Hey, I got your letter. You said you buy houses with any situation, any condition. Started pouring the information out to me. So I got all the information and I just, I just set an appointment. So you, you found the deal by mailing a yellow letter, handwritten ink. Did you do that yourself or did you do a service? No, I did it myself. Okay. Me and my 15-year-old daughter, I'm kind of implementing them. Yeah, we uh, just write in letters, hand, handwritten. I've always found that, uh, well, Mercedes letters always, we write the exact same thing on the letters, but she always gets a better response. I think that the girly cursive actually gets a better yeah. response. My daughter, she puts like a smiley face at the bottom. Perfect. Yes. They say that increases a waitress's tips too when they put that That's, on there. I heard about that. I heard that. Yep. All right. So very simple, very basic, no magic there. Now you made the appointment, which is what you're supposed to do. And now you went to the property and now kind of lead me through up from that point until you got the contract signed. So the guy's situation was like him and his wife, they were out of city investors and the property's in Oakland, California. And that's my market, San Francisco, Oakland Bay area market. 
properties in open. They invested into it and uh, they put you know money into the renovation, everything. But the only thing they didn't do was they made it a, a two one, but they made it a four two bedroom, four four bedrooms and two baths. The mm-hmm. contractor they hired, they didn't uh, pull any permits. So the, all the renovation they did add on wasn't uh, permitted by the city. So they had renters in there and everything. About a year, but when it came time to sell it, you know, they put it on the market. They got the renters out. They put it on the market. FHA buyer, a person that was going to want to live in there, did their inspections to loan the money to the person. They said, hey, this is not a 2-1. This mm-hmm. is actually a 4-2. We can't even lend you the money on this. So what that happened, the sellers, what they did, they would correct everything. So they went to the city to try to correct it. The city gave instructions of what to do in a timeline. They didn't satisfy that timeline. So city dinged them with the lien. So that was the distress for the seller. Initially, I was going in as a, a cash offer. And then I got the contract signed. I walked the property, talked with the seller. He, he explained everything I just did. And after that, I was thinking, okay, okay, this could be a cash offer. So I offered him a cash offer and he signed the agreement. But when we put it out in the market, what he owed on the mortgage, cash investors, they needed to come in lower than that. So it turned out it couldn't be, you know, a cash offer because he owed her X amount of money. But cash buyers, they need to be at this point to make it an actual deal. So we, that was a long period of time. And then I think uh, that's when I asked you for your, uh, your help and you assisted me on getting it into a creative deal where we can uh, do a buy subject too. And we got it under contract with that. And it's still like cash buyers, like, no, I don't want to deal with the city because this the city has a, a, a bad reputation of just making it harder for people. But I thought about it, like, you know, instead of marketing it out to cash buyers, let's market out the people that's going to actually live in it. Yeah. And that's how I actually got the deal. I started marketing to people that's going to be homestead buyers. And that actually got me over the finish line with that. Fantastic. All right, cool. So how did you market to them? What was your strategy there? I didn't want to put it on, I guess I should just say MLS, like Zillow's and the Redfins. I didn't want to do that. So I just, I did, again, social media. Like I went to Facebook, so I went to the Craigslist and then actually I JV with somebody. They were pushing it out to their network and it was doing the same thing, like through, through Facebook marketplace. Hey, you want to buy this? Putting that uh, out there that, hey, you want to live in this because of XYZ is going on with this property. So this will be a good maybe house hack for someone. And m- later on the line, they can take care of that stuff with the, with the city. So that's how we got a uh, homestead buyer. They took ownership subject to. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Perfect. So now it's between them and the seller. They're making payments on the existing mortgage. Did they pay anything additional to the seller? The seller, I guess he got a reality check. Like, hey, the only way I can get rid of this is almost giving it away to somebody. That kind of basically what it was. So the buyer came in, just the sales, the actual asking price is the remaining balance of the board. So it was nothing to the seller. I signed it to the buyer. So I had a fee in there for me for the due dealers I did in the bit in this the deal. So no, it was just nothing to the seller. That's amazing. Thank God he met you. Yeah. And this was a huge win for him to get this off his shoulders. But it was also a huge win for the buyer, right? They got essentially just got to move in after just compensating you. It beats the, any bank loan, any lender loan. It beats that like 100%, right? Right. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank so what you. have you found to be the biggest surprise investing in real estate now that you got a year into it? Let's say how once you start really being consistent, it really is a, a simple business. And that's the surprise yeah. that they got. It's, it really is simple. It's if you stick to a certain thing, it's a simple business. Like, Right. That's awesome. Because it is. You're absolutely right. And sometimes you just got to go through it to, to realize, wow, it is that simple, right? And you really can't do this without any money. Like, Once you have that epiphany, now all of a sudden you're a big advocate and a proponent of it. But before, well, let's go back to before. 
If you were to go back to the very beginning when we got started, what is some advice you'd give to yourself back then? Do it. Stop uh, reading. Stop YouTubing. Stop being worried. Just do it. It's like, do what you're doing now. Present. Wake up early. Prep, prep yourself. But it just that hour, just crush time. Do it. After this year, if we were to go back then also, what was it that initially drew you to work with Epic? I like to give a lot of credit to my mother-in-law because uh, we just have the same type of mindset, entrepreneur spirit. And she, she had a few investment properties. So I knew what she was doing. And I have like, a few relatives that are agents. So mm-hmm. I knew it from the fishbowl, looking outside. And then after the weekend, it's like, oh, I'm, I can actually be in the fishbowl and I see I, I can actually do this. What have been your three favorite things about working with Epic? Uh, communication. Like I could, I know, I know you hate it, but I can watch you anytime. Hey, like I, I, I got a hurdle. It's like, especially with this last deal, it was a lot of hurdles. I call it the hurdle house because it was just going over another week. You got over one and here comes another one. But one, uh, I can reach out to you. And also it's a community. You know, I'm in the process now of doing another deal with a, another student. So that community is there. And third, I would think just the, the education of it. You've been in this game for like a while. So it's, it's if there's a question there, it's, it's an answer right here. Or there's some kind of something there that I can use to like, okay, I can get over the horror. This might be in the vault or this might be in a YouTube you've done before or a podcast or, or something there. So it's just the resources. So the communication, the community, and the resources. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I get a joy out of talking to you because you're actually out there and I can tell by your questions that you're actually doing it. And like, yeah, let's work through this thing together. So it's wide open for you. All right. Anytime that you want, you're never bothering me. So clearly you got your eyes on the prize. So five years from now, what's the dream scenario for your real estate portfolio and your day job now that you've seen this as a real possibility? Well, five years, I guess to put it like in stages is like bringing in my wife home. We just had a one-year-old. For that, we had a two-year-old. For that, we skipped and we had a 10-year-old. So she's actually working full-time. She works in the education field. My wife helps me out where she can, bless her heart. And the, this is in stages, just taking myself away from the business. Instruction, like, like I said earlier, I, my nephews are involved as far as the campaigning portion. But maybe like later on in life, maybe they could be more involved in acquisition. And I can just hire more in so I can, I can step out some. Hire more boots in, I can step out some. And then eventually like completely step out and just... Putting my business on autopilot, but the real estate will be the foundation because I love it. I'm growing to really love it a lot more. I like, love doing it, like talking about it. Oh yeah, that's why I foresee it myself. Love it. Can you finish this sentence for me? I almost didn't work with Epic because. Didn't have a plane ticket. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I almost like didn't because like, hey, I was like, no, I'm not going to take the flight out there, but I'm, I'm really, really, truly glad that I did. It's just crazy because like, your headquarters is in Vegas and like, if there was a party, I'll be on a flight just like that. But like when it comes to like investing in yourself and I had that conversation with myself, like, Hey, this investment in myself and like, let me just do it. And I'm glad I did really glad I did. I love that. So last question, if someone were on the fence about working with Epic, what would you tell them to tip the scales? I would tell them those three things I just mentioned, you're going to have like the communication, you're going to have the community that's building, that's growing, growing. And the thing about it, like the, the community is growing within the students. We're like open it open and open it up. We're like now just helping each other. And the third thing, the resources, the resources are there. And I think those three things are really, really important when like you're brand new. Like, yeah, you need that communication. You need some kind of like community where like you're not aided by yourself and you need the, those resources that, that are available. Super. Yeah. Thanks for that.
And thanks for, uh, this is your power hour for work and you, you cut a little bit of it in half to be with me. So I really appreciate that. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, no problem. A lot of my uncles, they're like military guys. So they, they taught me how to eat fast anyway. So I just already ate my lunch. <laughs> Cash has been what, 30 years and I still am always the first one done. <laughs> yeah. I, you too, Apple. All right. JR, be good and uh, stay in touch, bud. All right. Thanks a lot, man. We'll be back with more right after this. Matt Terrio Investor, tell us where the deals are. This week's deal is located in Kansas City, Missouri. And tell us what the numbers are. Step into an investor's paradise with this beautifully rehabbed bungalow, a strategic gem offering 807 square feet of modern living space. The thoughtful rehab featuring new carpets, sparkling appliances, and contemporary updates creates an atmosphere of brightness and warmth, appealing to growing families and busy professionals seeking a hassle-free investment. Large windows invite refreshing natural light, making this property not just a physical space, but a canvas for a quality of life that ensures long-term tenancy and maximizes returns. Location is a prime asset for the discerning investor, with easy access to essential amenities, hospitals, leisure parks, malls, and Highway 71 for seamless mobility. Renowned schools like Troost Elementary School, Central Middle School, and Southeast High School are in close proximity alongside grocery shops and Aldi just minutes away, ensuring convenience for tenants and enhancing the property's market appeal. This isn't just about a property. It's about crafting a lifestyle that attracts and retains tenants. For more information on this property and others just like it, Grab a free investor package from CashflowSavvy.com. Ever hear someone say, I have too much money? Me neither. Let's get you some more. Back to the show. All right. So JR's story, isn't that amazing? Totally amazing. That guy is a genius at what he does. Mm-hmm. I love working with people like JR. You know, he's your, your normal guy. He's got the job. He's got the mortgage. He's got the family. And he's got a very limited amount of time to make real estate work. And the guy gets up before work and, you know, he, he gets everything situated and then he blocks out his lunchtime and works an hour at lunch. And, and it's important to him. And he's closing deals. It just shows that if you do the activities, you do them consistently, it doesn't really matter the volume. You will get the results if you're consistent with it. I mean, that goes back to us constantly talking about, first and foremost, if you really want to do it, you find a way to make it happen. But a lot of it has to do with your why. Like his why is huge. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, his family. It's like, there's a reason why he's doing it. And it's not just him. Mm -hmm. So when you have that why in front of you, it becomes no longer about you, about something bigger. And then you just find a way to make it happen. Like there's just no excuses and with an hour or two a day. I yep. mean, that's what you and I constantly tell our students. Like, you know, if you work a nine to five, you get home, have dinner, and you spend an hour and a half to two hours. Instead of watching reality TV, mm-hmm. do two hours of this mm-hmm. and things will happen. Yep. And they might happen a little bit uh, slowly, not as fast as you want it to go. But needless to say, if you're consistent with what you're doing, it will happen. Yep. Yep. And, you know, so many people have the time constraint and just to kind of elaborate a little bit more about the why, 
you know, you and I, we've been to so many personal development type programs and events and stuff like that. And everyone always starts with the why. You have to have your why, right? If you don't know why you're doing it, you're not going to go very far. You're not going to do it consistently unless you just naturally love it. And when people are talking about how they just don't have the time for it, I want to do that, but I don't have the time. Remember uh, Jay Massey, a good friend of ours. I remember I walked into the uh, office one day and my weight has fluctuated up and down over the years. And I was like, gosh, I got on the scale today. I just didn't move the right direction. <laughs> it moved the wrong direction. Uh-huh. And I remember him saying, and this is what I was going to say, but it goes perfectly with what I am going to say. He said, you know what? It's just not that important to you. And I was like, how dare you tell me me being fit and in shape is not important to me? And he's just, he was, uh, well, if it was, then you would have lost weight. <laughs> and I started, it hit me so hard and I had to really think about it. I was like, you're so right. And then, uh, so connected to that, which that was the little tangent that I just unexpectedly went on. When someone says it's not important to you, and I heard this laid out in a way, or um, you don't have the time for it. And the analogy I thought, or I heard was, do you remember that time when you were single and you were getting ready, you you had a date coming up on the weekend, right? (laughs) And you know, you just have the same schedule, you're busy, but you took the time to go get your hair done you took the time to go to take your clothes to the cleaners, right? And you made reservations and maybe you made backup reservations and, you know, you got everything all set and maybe you arranged for flowers to be delivered. Like you did all of this extra stuff inside of a busy week just because that's what was important to you at the time. Yeah. yeah. And just imagine if your financial future is as important to you as your, is that next hot date, and what that would look like if you repeated that process over and over and over again, just like JR is doing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Matt, because just last week, I think I mentioned it at last week's podcast, but we had somebody come into our office mm-hmm. to thank us for helping her reach retirement mm-hmm. in four years. In fact, I have asked her to be a guest on our podcast, so I'll be interviewing her next week. I did promise that last week, but uh, we ha- finally have it on the calendar. But I remember when I met her for lunch, I asked her why she was doing this. And she's a mathematical, she likes spreadsheets and numbers, uh-huh. kind of like we do, but she takes it to another level. And she just said, I realize that if I don't do something different, the retirement that I have is just not going to give me the life that I wanted. And what's going to happen with my children? She's got two kids. And I really thought about, I'm so happy she's thinking about this now because at the time she was like, I don't know, 34, 35. She's still in her 30s and she's now retiring. I think she's 37, 38 now. She got to do it in four years. But the reason she was able to do it in four years is because first and foremost, she didn't reinvent the wheel. She just copied what we were doing. But her why was so big, there was like no stopping her. It was, I'm not going to retire the way I want to retire. The 401k and the IRA that I have is not going to do it. And what are my kids going to do? Mm -hmm. And when that why is bigger than you, miraculous things happen. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. let's help people do miraculous things. Well, I, I have to stop you. We're in our newly designed, pretty decorated office. And you haven't said anything about our new podcast studio. Oh, well, the reason I didn't is because we're not quite there to video yet, although it is ready for video. We have some more more setup to do, but you've done a great job. It looks great. Yeah, so, we, we have to love uh, where we work and where we chat. Right? So, 
Perfect. Awesome. Well, you shared this with me this morning. I thought this would be a great thing for us to talk about out of uh, Fortune magazine uh, this week. And it kind of takes off from where we, where we left off from last week. Goldman Sachs just dropped a housing market forecast for 2024 and sees home prices and the high mortgage rates and the lowest number of existing home sales since the early 90s. That's the headline. Yeah. But if you dig deeper in like any story, the headline tells one thing. And then if you go down to like paragraph four or five, then all of a sudden you start to get the real story. So this would be good for us to talk about. And I, I think also what's funny where we are in, in November, right? So it's like May or June, there was a lot of people came out and started talking about the housing industry. And they talked about how everybody got it wrong over the last six months. Like it did something totally different than anybody was expecting what they were predicting. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of different perspectives in this article and they're all very different. Yeah. And they all have to use different uh, reasoning and logic for making their predictions. But it just comes down to show that none of us really know yeah. <laughs> what's well, going to happen. Well, that's because none of us have crystal balls. And, you know, we tend to, I've said it before, history repeats itself. But then you have something catastrophic that's happened that doesn't happen mm-hmm. on a regular basis or right. like a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like, when was the last time this country experienced a pandemic? Yep. And so when yep. you throw that into the mix, it's like, how can anyone predict anything if it really hasn't happened in our lifetime? Right. And right. so, yeah, a lot of us got it wrong. I didn't make a prediction because I was smart enough to think that, yeah, this is going to rattle something, but which direction is going to go mm-hmm. has a lot to do with so many factors. You know, the administration, and I mean, I don't want to get political, but there's a lot goes into it than just mm-hmm. history repeating itself. Yeah, I mean, we had this global emergency, and there was a lot of really quick knee-jerk reactions that saying that history always repeats itself might have, you know, tipped it off its axis. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's not repeating the way that everyone is traditionally predicted. Yeah. Well, let's just look into the article. We talked about our opinion a lot last week. Let's talk about what, they, what they're saying. Yeah. So one thing that's true, been true about home prices since the pandemic began, and I know you and I, for the first couple of weeks, were like, oh my gosh, the housing market's going to crash. Housing market's going to crash. That was just kind of like the easy thing to assume. But since then, even to today, prices just continue to go up. We had a, um, a serious leveling out in the first six months of this year. And I think it was just like the hysteria left the market. I call it the emotional equity left the market. People were paying more just because they're emotionally involved. Yeah. And once it settled down, so if you look at any chart, it looks like it's come down quite a bit. But if you just draw a straight line, like from before the pandemic to where it is now, it is a still historically steep line of appreciation. Even though it's pulled back a little bit. But um, here we are today, the last seven months, we've been on the rise. The Case-Shiller Index is continuing to increase. But here's the weird thing is that the prices are increasing while sales activity is dropping. So like that has never happened before. We can't say history repeats itself because those are two conflicting statistics that are happening. So they say 2023, we saw the rates go from 3% to just slightly above 8%. They've pulled back just a little bit, but they have more than doubled. And that had very little impact, if any, on home prices. Absolutely. And that's point. like, they are twice as much on a monthly basis to afford to live in than they were. And the prices are the same. And this will just always go back and I'll be a broken record on this forever because this is where I really changed my tune about three weeks into COVID when I saw the supply and demand numbers. Yeah. When I saw that the number of people 
that are moving through home buying age now. Like they were here 20 years ago, but now they're at an age where they buy houses. And we went through that same 20 years, you know, we had a, a building deficit. So that's supporting it. That's keeping it up. What they're seeing is it's probably going to stay the same. They're predicting the rates to stick. Yeah. They're predicting the home prices to stick and slightly increase, but they are seeing predicting that the home sales activity is going to stay stagnant yeah. and might be pulled back a little bit because you know, more than half of the homes out there, it says the number in here. I just don't have reference to it. It is more than half. I think it's around 70% of all the people that have mortgages on their homes are in those homes at rates lower than what you can get right now. Yeah. So it's really killing typical real estate turnover. Right. People are staying put. And because people are staying put, properties aren't available for us investors to buy. So. Right. So that's that's good that you brought that up because I would probably push back on that just a hair because when you see reports like these out of magazines and on mainstream media, this is really looking at it from a retail level. Right. And we're, we're like under retail, like we're off market, we're wholesale buyers. And so there's different things um, that happen that make properties available to us that might not be reflected on the public market, right? For sure. The, in the public space, the retail space is what I was looking for. So yeah, here's the thing is we buy properties from people that are in some sort of distressed situation for sure. and there's no shortage of people. <laughs> Life kicks everybody in the teeth every yeah. day. And so who's not distressed today will be distressed tomorrow. And people will have to turn to their properties as some, as their form of financial relief. That's for sure. And do that. So those will always be available. We're just looking more of an, on a big scale retail side of things. Yeah. Sadly, divorce rates are not decreasing and death rates are not decreasing. Those are pretty steady during, some would argue that during COVID it was at a rise. And so when it comes to those situations, that's where they reach out to the investor that can purchase the property within five days, all cash or in a creative manner, just to get them out of their dire situation that life has created for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The one thing I thought is interesting here is Goldman is predicting, and it's funny because we have Goldman, Morgan Stanley, and then one other place, uh, the AEI Housing Center, which I've never heard of. It's a public policy think tank. So they have, but if we look at this, we have Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and then this housing think tank. Only one of them is actually focused on housing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so you have to kind of consider the source that, it's, you're getting a Wall Street prediction yeah. uh, on what the housing is going to do. And we know that when you look at the economy, and here's something I'm predicting, this is my bold prediction, is that the job reports just came out. And so hiring is slowing down. Yeah. Unemployment numbers came out at the same time. That's actually starting to inch up a little bit. And so those are traditional symbols of a slowing economy. And so now with the Fed is like, okay, are they going to maybe pivot now? Like, okay, we've brought, raised the rates up. We're seeing the impact now. And will it be time for them to like dig into their toolbox and maybe pull back on them a little bit? And you, we just can't ignore the fact that we have probably the, the most divisive election coming up <laughs> next year. And does the current administration really want to have the current economy on the debate stage. Yeah, for sure. Will they try to maybe fix it and bring the rates down a little bit or release a little bit of the pressure on the economy? And 
have it go the other direction. I think that's actually what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't think you're wrong, Matt. Usually during an election year, the new administration or the administration that's trying to become the new administration tries to do everything possible to you know, mitigate what's going wrong in, at the current state of affairs, mm-hmm. whether it's healthcare or real estate or whatever the situation is. In our case, I do believe rates are going to drop just a tad, but it's it would be unrealistic for me to think that rates are going to go down to the rates where we experienced during COVID. So it's not going to go down to the two, three, four percent that we would like to see. It might drop down to maybe six and a half, seven. Uh, if we're lucky, we're right now, today's world, like at an eight percent ish. And I can't see it going a whole lot lower than, you know, seven percent. In most cases, if you're working with a lender, you are able to buy the rate down to get you that lower rate, but that's you buying it down. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's being presented to you. So mm-hmm. I like your bold prediction there, Mr. Yeah. Dario. Like I said, we started this. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. And my gosh, I mean, you just can't be surprised by anything these days. And I think it's still smart to play it safe to some degree, but I also think it could be risky by not doing anything at all. Yeah. Just imagine how many people want to go back to the day that the globe shut down in mid-March and buy all the houses they possibly could on that day. Yeah. And buy all the Bitcoin they could have bought on that day. Because as, as bad as crypto has got, it's still 10 times what it was on that day. Yeah. So there's room for, I think, a logical, safe gamble. I wouldn't over-risk yourself. But um, I certainly wouldn't stop. Yeah. Well, I was just watching something where they were talking about how houses in the last 50 years, real estate has appreciated 12 times while salaries have only appreciated six times. Wow. So real estate has appreciated twice as fast as our pay has increased. And so that goes all the way back to 1973. And that would be two years after we were taken off the gold standard. And that's like where everything changed. And that's where inflation had a big impact on us. And it's where it kind of rendered Kiyosaki's famous line, which I love when he calls savers or losers, yeah. right? Everyone thought, oh, how did, how can you call a saver a loser? That's a terrible thing to say about a person. He's not talking about the person. He's talking about the money you're saving yeah. is losing. Yeah. And that's a perfect example. So when I say like you, you can't stand still because you know you're guaranteed to lose. Yeah. It's just the, the economy that we live in. It's a debt-based economy. That's globally, by the way. That's not just the U.S. Yeah. And so you have to focus more on investing than saving if you want to keep up with what's going on. Well, that goes back to me and my little mantra of, you know, if you're not doing a whole lot of investing because you're waiting for the market to turn or you're waiting for something to rise or rates to fall or whatever it is, at the very least, you know, with what history has shown you, that real estate is probably a very good bet. And at the very least, if you can go back, if you can go get away with buying one rental property a year, that is a life changer. And I mean, when you say, you know, do something, you can't just Mm -hmm. stop and do nothing Mm -hmm. because if you do nothing for sure, you will lose. The world will pass you up. But if you buy one property a year or one property every two years, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Because if you just hold it, 
Just imagine in 10 years what that one property is doing for you. Yep. The Federal Reserve came out with that number mid last year. And they did an analysis. The difference between a real estate owner and a non-real estate owner is by the time they reach the age of 65 is 40 times difference in wealth. Wow. Four zero. And that was just one property. I think they based off your actual primary residence. But gosh, what if you had two, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. What a different place you'd be in. So with this Goldman Sachs thing, it's it's kind of, they're not too bullish on the market. They're, they think uh, things are going to get not worse, but they think because it'll be extended, it'll feel worse. Yeah. And so there's that perspective. And then down here at the bottom, Morgan Stanley. So I don't know if you're a Goldman person or a Morgan person, <laughs> but they uh, just changed their whole prediction and forecasting an actual rise in, in prices of up to 5% this year Yeah, in, in 2024 when Goldman adjusted theirs down to 1.3%. So you have two of the behemoths on Wall Street saying very different things. And then you have the AEI housing center. I got to look them up to see who they are. They expect a 6% increase in home prices for 2023 with only two more months left. It'll be an annual, show an annual increase of 6%, followed by a jump of 7% in 2024. And I think that one could actually be accurate if my prediction comes true. So if we count on politicians doing what politicians do and they want to have the economy in a better light than it is right now, because there's not a whole lot of defense for the economy. A lot of people are hurting right now. And if they got on a debate stage, what is Biden going to say? Like, no, it's not. It's great. Right. <laughs> like, there's not gonna, that's not going to go. That's not going to fly. So I think there will be an adjustment. And if we have the interest rates we have right now, and we have prices increasing. If they drop that from a seven and three quarters to a six and three quarters, what is that going to do to the prices? It's going to go back. I think this 7% prediction might be actually conservative. Yeah. Right. So again, everybody was wrong 12 <laughs> months ago and yeah. who knows who's going to be right 12 months from now, but we do know that, um, the supply and demand imbalance is so much in the favor of the real estate owner more so than it is in the, uh, the renter. For sure. I pulled this article, Matt, just because, um, first of all, it's clickbait, <laughs> but, um, Got us. You know, we clicked. Yeah, yeah, we totally clicked, but I really think it's important for us just to have conversations about, you know, what Goldman Sachs is, is predicting and what, you know, Morgan Stanley is predicting just because that is what the average person reads when they do a simple Google search. There's not a whole lot of uh, clickbaitable information from the perspective of a real estate investor. And so I think that it is our job to enlighten our listeners from both perspectives. Here's what's out there. Here's what you know Goldman Sachs is saying. Here's what Morgan Sandlin's saying. And then here's what we're experiencing from a real estate investor perspective on a real-time basis. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we have these platforms where we can discuss and enlighten people about different aspects of what is currently transpiring as we speak. Mm -hmm. So there's that. I happen to think your prediction, by the way, for the record, you've predicted stuff before and Sometimes it surprises me, Matt, how your predictions are so spot on. Like, I will hands down say that a lot of our real estate investments were not 
what I ha- would have jumped on originally, but the way that you think things and the way that you kind of foresee what's transpiring within the next, you know, six to 12 months, it's worked in our favor. Mm-hmm. And uh, your predictions more time than not have been pretty accurate. So I'm going to give that to you. And in 12 months, we're going to listen to this episode and, right. and see what happened. And we'll have this as a point of comparison. Right. As you're saying that, I actually didn't know you thought that, but I started thinking about the predictions I have made. And I think the reason I've been consistent and accurate with real estate, and I think why most people can be optimistic and still be safe with real estate is that it is a basic human need. Ask me how my predictions went with Bitcoin. How did they go with Bitcoin? Well, it's (laughs) (laughs) not well, right? But it's because Bitcoin yet is not a basic human need. It's not shelter. It's not water. It's not food, right? It's not clothing. It's not healthcare. Yeah. It's like this thing, kind of a speculating thing of like, hey, the world's going to change. You don't want to be left on the wrong side of the whole thing. So there's a lot of speculation in that. But when it comes to the housing, I mean, you just really easy look is supply and demand. Yeah. So let me clarify that. Mm-hmm. Your Bitcoin journey mm-hmm. did very well for a very long time. Yes. <laughs> you you then- got to ride the wave because you were smart. You mm-hmm. got in early. You were a bit aggressive. And you went in with that with the mindset of, heck, if I lose this money, kind of like Las Vegas, if I put it in the slot machine and it works, great. If I lose it, then it didn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it went very, very well for a very long time. It paid for my garden. (laughs) It paid for my new door. It did very, very, it bought me a new car. So don't say that it didn't end well. I mean, it didn't end well, but it the journey was good. Right. No, we definitely came out and made more than we lost. For sure. But we should have, we held on too long. And <laughs> that was my whole thing. Yeah. But um, it could have been just so much better. Yeah. But no, we did good on that too. Just because, and I think it's still there for the future. I just don't see what I see right now. If you even care what I think about Bitcoin now that we're talking about it, <laughs> is that there's not a whole lot of disposable discretionary income out right there, sure. out there right now. And that's going to need to come back to the system before I think an asset like, like a cryptocurrency really takes off. Yeah. But then again, you got the whole global politics that's going on right now, and who knows what's going to happen. Okay, that's a whole other conversation that we're not going to tap into right now. I just now. <laughs> always have to cover my bases because I think generally speaking of just supply and demand and, and what people have available to them right now, that's an easy prediction. But there's always these outlier variables like yeah. a pandemic, yeah. like another world war, like social disruption or whatever it may be. Just That's why they call it a black swan because it's yeah. something that you can't predict. But we can predict that there will probably be another black swan at some point. Yeah. But uh, if they don't, then, you know, supply and demand for real estate, I think is a pretty easy way to, to predict. Agree. So talking about predictions, I am going to predict that our listeners are going to really find an amazing name for our listeners. We rolled out a little contest that we are going to um, finalize at the end of this year. And the contest is, We need a name for you, the listener. I kind of tapped on it last week. You know, uh, the Taylor Swift followers are called Swifties. The Lady Gaga followers are called Little Monsters. Well, what are the epic followers called? So Matt and I created a contest and it's going to be very simple for you to enter. All you need to do is give us a five-star review and tell us what you like best about a podcast or a guest that we brought on or an episode. And then give us your suggestion on what you think the epic follower should be called. 
the winner will be named on our podcast. We will send you a signed book by Mr. Terrio and a wonderful Amazon gift card that you can splurge on Amazon just for you. I think that's it. All righty. Yeah. And if uh, you come up with a really cool name, please share it. And if you think, hey, we don't want to be called anything, share that too. <laughs> this is all about you, not us. Also, feel free to uh, share us on social media. If you think that this episode is going to help someone, then please share us and uh, spread the word that financial freedom is really a true thing. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Take care. Bye. And that wraps up the epic show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would. And when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here and I'll take great care of them. God loves you and so do I. Health, peace, blessings, and success to you. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.